0: Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem's show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real-life scenarios with real live people.
1: Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's amazing program. Tonight we have Amory Kashir. Uh, tonight is sheer number 94 with Coach Menachem Bernfeld, the Let's Get Real program. And uh, again, I always start of thanking everybody who comes every week for posting on the WhatsApp statuses, telling people about the program. Again, please tell friends and family to post it all over. We have an amazing packed program, a lineup of speakers, therapists. It's going to be getting more and more wild. So get get filled and uh, it's going to be an unbelievable uh, next few months. We're already full till July, so FYI. Again, a for everybody posting it and for the share growing again, if anybody wants to join out the WhatsApp status, uh, every Sunday I send out the, the, the flyer, please WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Again, it's 848-525-0066 and say my number in the phone. And every Sunday in the morning with Shem, I'll send you the flyer. You can post it, let the family know about it, put on your family chats, so we can all grow tzazamen. If anybody's watching the replay of the share on YouTube, please click on the like button. And click on the subscribe button, so on the Shem every Monday, 3 a.m., when Menachem puts up this, the Sunday Sheer, you get a ding, you know about it, you get to watch it over, and really, really grow together with us on these programs. I want to start first with thanking our advertising sponsor, the Lakewood Scoop, for promoting us over here in Lakewood. Special thank you to Rabbi Yeniv and Yaniv to Chazak. Chazak offers programming from all. For more information, go to Chazak.org. Special thank you to Chayla Kalfman from JCN, the Jewish Content Network, for always promoting us on all the digital platforms. Coach Menachem is now collaborating with OK Clarity to bring greater health and wellness to the Jewish community around the globe. OK Clarity is an online platform for mental health. Support in the Jewish community, OKClarity.com. You'll find the best therapists, coaches, nutritionists, engage in forums, and stay inspired. Links will be emailed after the show. Again, just to reiterate re- again, Coach Menachem started writing two books. We're doing 40 shiurim per book. Shlomo Usha Tauber is Shir number 94. He's in book three. So um, we're doing a little trying to raise some money to for the books. so email after the shir. All the links that anybody wants to contribute to a sponsor, a uh, to help it be in all the bookstores. Please uh, join. Help us grow it together. Again, if anybody's here the first time tonight, every Sunday night at 9.30 Eastern time on this Zoom ID, we have different shiur important topics, therapists, rabbanim, and it's Baruch Hashem, Maredeh. Next Sunday, we have an unbelievable share. It says on the flyer one person, but we actually got a switch and dates had to change. Next Sunday, March 13th, we have an amazing show with Rabbi Lezer Bloom. He's LMFT. He's from Hollywood, Florida. It's going to be share number 95. It's going to be date night with Coach Menachem. We're going to be discussing what is truly getting in the way of your connection, your marriage, what you could do about it. It's EFT, a roadmap to deepen your marriage. EFT stands for Emotionally Focused Therapy. And he's a mumcha of a mumcha in this. It's a massive, uh, it's a different type of therapy, and it's, it's going to be very couple-based, and marriage-based, relationship-based, and uh, it should be a very powerful program. Uh, try to come, try to join with your spouse. If you're single, li- listen to it. It's definitely going to be concepts that you're going to need for marriage. Um, it's very, it was very impressive. I met with him uh, last week. We had a little, uh, a little pre-share, and uh, I was very impressed with him, so it should be something very powerful. Um, tonight we have the schos in the honor of having world-famous Reb Usha Tauber from Munzi over here tonight with us. Met Shem. We have an amazing event. And the thousands thousand people will watch it. And we'll get back to you in a moment. Tonight we're going to start with the gematria. The new thing that we started doing at gematria, Shia 94. I asked Rabbi Tauber right before the Shia, what is 94 gematria? Are you ready? 94 is gematria chinach. Tonight we're going to be talking about chinach. So that's the gematria for tonight, which is moyedek. And um, let's start off first with Coach Menachem Berenfeld. Open it up.
2: Yeah. Oh.
0: Welcome, everyone, to another share. It's a big first to have Rabbi Tavi with us tonight. And uh, I want to welcome all of you for being here with us. And I do want to say thank you for all of those that shared um, the feedback, sending in to coachmenachem.gmail.com, which is really, really amazing. Depending on every share, the feedback is... Is really different which whatever you feel whatever comes on your mind you send it in basically I got a picture of how. The audience understood and what needs clarification, which is really, really amazing and then I go outside and speak to people. Which is really interesting to hear everybody's feedback, so thank you for that and for those who donated already for the book, thank you very much, and uh, the campaign is still up another three weeks. And for those who didn't donate yet, you still have time. We'll send out the link tomorrow. So tonight, we have this host to have Rabbi Itabe with us, which he is in Chinef for many, many years. He's been many years in Vienna and now in New York. But he got Shemesh from his father, Rabbi Zril, which which um, I've heard a lot from Rabbi Zril and from Shimshim Pinkus, which they used to go around the world for Shalheves and doing a lot of Kirv, which is really, really amazing. And I believe his son got a lot of shemesh from his father. And now he took it from Kiruv Rechoykum to Kiruv Troivim. How to understand, to relate, to be there for your child. And tonight is going to be very specific, the younger age. You're talking about Chinuch. Everybody has different ages. And everybody wants to know how to while it's happening. If your child is 18, 19, and you're having a hard time, you're trying to figure out, I do understand them. I don't understand them. I'm not sure if it's right or wrong. But the question is, is there anything that we could do when they're young? It's tricky because people think, you know, I'll be fine. I'm good. I'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Got married have some kids. We'll figure it out. But it's, it's tough. And then, you know, like we have next week, we'll have the EFT, which, which talks a, bit, a lot about the triggers that come up between between husband and wife. And that has a lot to do with chenekh also, the triggers that come up between husband and wife, and then the triggers when your kid does something and you don't like it. So what do you say? How do you do it? What do you do? And then you want to do it the right way so that you don't ruin that connection, that relationship, and that the child should feel my parents, the adults in my life around me understand me, whether I do right or wrong. And that's a tricky one. And hopefully tonight we'll learn how to do that because, you know, when your child does something wrong, you want to tell them off. You want to be mechanic with them. But we have to do it in a smart way so that they still come back to us and understand, I'm with you, I understand you. And no matter if you did something wrong, it doesn't take away from who you are. So, Baruch Hashem, we have this chis to have with us and just sit back and listen you know it might bring up some triggers and i do want to mention that for the cultural audience um every is giving a course after pesach and for a very very good price for our audience and we'll mention it later because obviously in an hour and a half we won't be able to cover everything and for those who feel that they can gain more, well, uh, you'll be av- have availability to sign up mitzvah. So the mitzvah should be a lot of siyata d'shmaya tonight.
1: Menachem, beautiful, beautiful opening. Okay. Um. Again, let's just get into it again tonight. We're talking about chinuch, boundaries, children. Rabbi Tav will explain us what we're talking about, what our focus is tonight. Like Menachem said, you know, the reason why we we spoke to Rabbi Tav a little bit about the follow up about the class a lot of times after we have certain Shirim. A lot of people like they wanted to take it to the next level because again, the year is very global, very general. And you know, Rabbi Talbert focuses on this and he does classes, so we felt there will be a tremendous benefit for people. You know, if they really feel they could help them with their children, raising them, younger children, there's a certain you know, basic boundaries where today's you know, everybody struggles with this. Everybody, I know you, be, I know you be sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, definitely could be, be very, helpful. So that's why we, we thought it would be a great, a great thing, you know, for after Pesach. I always say, no, the New Year's resolution, after Pesach, we'll take care of it. So again, let's start. I'm going to read Rabbi Talber's uh, bio, Meshem, and uh, we're going to get into it. Rabbi Shlomo Usha Tauber, the son of the late Rabbi Zeril Tauber, was the founder is the founder of Kesher Coaching, an institute focused on helping spouses and parents become really close and connected to each other. Rabbi Talbur is a sort of speaker worldwide, and besides counseling people privately, on a variety of issues. He's also teaching small online and face-to-face groups in depth with subjects of Shalom inshallah and self-improvement. For coming here tonight, and the floor is yours.
2: You are very, very welcome. When do you do the 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 poll?
1: Right after right after you speak we'll drop
2: the poll. Unless you want to do it now, whatever you want. Let's do it now so let's I can know what to focus on.
1: Sure, sure. Okay. So tonight we're going to do something different. We're going to do the poll before the speech. Here we go. You ready? I'll explain it clearer because maybe the Adalim doesn't know we're going with it. Here we go. Okay, this is the poll. Two questions. Number one, at what age do you think Chinuch starts with your child? We gave you four choices. Okay? 30 days after they're born, two plus years old, six plus years old, or Bar Bar Bat Mitzvah. What age do you feel Chinuch? Chinuch, yes, no, raising them, what age does that start? Okay, Rabbi Tab, you can see people answering. We're going to share with everybody soon. People are doing that. Question number two What are the first steps I need to take to be my What What's the first thing I need to do? Be more focused on on top of them, everything they're doing. If we hyper focus, we helicopter them, we make sure they're doing everything right. They say the bruch with Chavuna, they do everything. They go on the bus on time, we push them. That's the right way to do it. Right? Learn the basic books, speeches on Chinoch, you read a few books. That's how you get the first step. Or the third or the, or the next step, the option C, work on myself to become a healthy person first. So those are the three choices. And everybody vote, and then we're going to share it with everybody. We got half the people voted. We'll give another five seconds and then we'll share the results. And then Rabbi you can go straight to the openings. We're doing it backwards for right.
2: you. See? Oh, get... call... okay. okay. Five, just... four, three, two,
1: one. Here we go. Let's share it. Okay, first question. Now, what age do you think starts with a child? 65% feel 30 days after they're born, they're ready in shul, they're sitting next to them, the Daven and Yom Kippur, the whole thing, in the diapers. 30% of people, two plus years old. Um, 6% of people, 4%, and 2% Barabbas. So basically, a very strong 30 days after they're born is basically very strong with a little timers like that. That's when Kinech starts. Number two, what are the first steps I need to take to be of my child? Uh, be more focused on being on top of everything They do is only 6%. Learn basic books and speech on kind of 4%. And a whopping 89% work on myself to be healthy person first. That's what the oil over here, Coach Manaf, which are very intelligent people, growing people. And they listen to already 93 Shior before you. So you're not, you know, so those are the answers. I you, but first elaborate on that and then go to the opening.
2: Okay. Beautiful. Appreciate it. Okay. First of all, thank you very much. Menachem and Rabusha, I really, really appreciate the privilege that you're giving me to be part of this unbelievable movement of spreading Dvar Hashem all over the world in such a in a hidden way, unbelievable. And I really appreciate the schos that you're giving me. It's a big, yes, it is a tremendous schos, a privilege, and at the same time, a big achrayis, a tremendous uh, responsibility to, to especially to talk in the topic about chinuch. Yes, I've been involved in chinuch for the past 28 years. My oldest son is turning 28, and since the majority, the poll came in that 30 days chinuch starts, so I listened, and I started being mechanech in a 30 days. so it's now about 28 years, almost. So this is how long I've, I've been involved in chinuch. My father always used to say, Sometimes you go to a professional therapist, whatever that these uh, diplomas hanging on the wall. Whoever has children should have a picture of their children in their wallet. That's their diploma, that I'm a licensed M'chamech. Hashem gave you children, you're a licensed M'chamech. Yes, sometimes we have to learn tips and tools just as any professional does. But if Hashem gives you a child, that means he trusts you with his children and that is our license and we shouldn't take it lightly so let's go straight in uh whatever we're going to talk now the next few minutes nothing i invented i don't say anything from what i yes we do have some experiences our own experiences dealing with people but it's all based on chazal based on the story based on professionals um and put into use and hashem that it works i must say something before we go into it, which is a very important thing. Whenever we talk about issues, such as anything that has to do with self-improvement with other human beings, when we have, for example, our parents listening, if one only if one parent is listening or both, it's extremely important that if you hear something that makes sense to you, that you wanna implement, And all of a sudden, while you hear that information, you think, oh, wow, my wife needs to hear that. I wish she would have been online. She's doing just the opposite. Or my husband, he's the, I wish he would have been online. I can't wait to tell him what this Tauber guy said. If the focus will be on someone else, we will say, we're wasting time. It will never ever work because it will never penetrate our brains and our understandings, if we're automatically just listening in order to give it to someone else to do. We have to listen and Hashem, if we learn something new, let's try to use it. I always learn something new. Whenever we talk about this, it's Hashem. we still have children at home and we can always use it. And let's make sure because Chinuch is not something that can be done by one parent. Hashem made so that children should have a father and a mother it's team work. Unfortunately, yes, sometimes we have single parent homes. Again, this is not something we're going to have time to go in tonight. That is something that takes more time, different challenges, different issues. But in general, the majority, when you have two parents, a father and a mother, chinuch is team work. If in chinuch the father pulls in one direction, the mother pulls in a different direction. They have different different opinions on how to be mechancha children. The child will come out of blitz or a matze, just pulled from all sides on a healthy child. You got to gotta work as a team. If we have differences of opinion on how to approach a certain issue with a child, you can discuss it privately, discuss it with professionals. But once you come out of your closet, you approach your child, we got to be united as a team. If you don't have a mahalach, you don't have an approach, how to deal with it, a mixed message to a child is a lot worse than no message at all. We should always try to have a very clear way of dealing, always the same consistent father, mother, everybody has their own part, and this is what creates a healthy child. The majority, I was surprised because uh, over 70% voted that kind starts at 30 days. Really, those were the only four options, starting at 30 days because The true, true, true answer is not 30 days. The true answer is there's a famous story with the Chazanish that a father came to the Chazanish asking advice on Chenach. The Chazanish asked him, How old is your child? He said, I think one or two years old. He said, Oh, it's way too late. Chenach starts before the children are born. Mm -hmm. Because it's all our own doing, how we are developed, how we look at life, what's important for us. that is really what Khinef is all about. So it's about ourselves. Obviously, we're dealing with children, and we'll talk about it. So as we heard before from Coach Menachem, and Roshir, that our focus tonight, Sashem, will be on we're, we're, we will focus on children on the age from about three to thirteen. It's not exact because we're humans, we're not cows, we're not animals that are all alike. Humans. No three year olds are alike, no 13 year olds are alike. So, but on average, we'll try to focus on that age, three to 13. We will not discuss tonight about children who have emotional issues or single parent homes. Uh, We will not talk about children who unfortunately left the system of the Derek, which is a a very big topic. Yes, it affects children below the age of 13 as well. It doesn't start only in teenagers. It starts sometimes much earlier. Again, this is a big topic on its own. When it comes to Yiddish things, they don't want to, not just they don't want to listen. It's much deeper than that. They, they don't want to accept Yiddish guy. That is a whole different topic on its own, which we cannot get into tonight. We will talk about healthy children. A happy, happy home, a father and mother with children, boys and girls, different ages. Yes, part of being a healthy child is they don't listen, they don't obey rules, they try to break rules, they talk back at us. This is all part of being a healthy, normal child. And this is what we're going to try to focus as you put it out, how to set healthy boundaries. Every child, um, this is, I'm a million percent of what I'm going to say now, Every single child wants to listen to their parents. It's part of their DNA of a child. They want to be told what to do, and they want to listen. If you have a child who does not want to accept rules from you, it's something we have to look, what am I not doing properly, or what am I doing wrong, or not in the right way? It's not always wrong. Sometimes I'm, I'm doing something that, is affecting my child in a way that the child is acting out against their own will. They wanna listen, they need it. The child needs guidance, a child needs boundaries. It's part of being a healthy child. And if not, there's a reason for it. Hashem created us human beings with needs. I'm gonna talk about basic needs. We all have needs and wants and desires that we can live without. I'm talking about basic basic needs, such as we have a basic need for oxygen. We have a basic need for food. We have a basic need to sleep. These are all basic needs. We all have a basic need, which is called, we'll call it power. Every single person wants to be empowered. They want to be listened to. They don't like to be told what to do. That's all part of being, having the need for power. It's a healthy need. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. Most of the time when you have a child who has a hard time accepting boundaries and rules, 99%, I'm talking about healthy children now, the reason why they can't accept this is because their need for power is on a high level. On a scale from one to 10, every, the average person out there, which is is about four to five, then they can accept boundaries with having that for power and that number. Once a child is born, and again, this is part of their it's not a mid, it's not a character, it's their personality. They cannot change it. And if we're going to try to take away the power from them, we'll break them. We won't bend them, we'll break them. And that's permanent damage. So when we're dealing with children, there's boundaries that every child can accept. Yes, we'll always have in every family, one child, two children, one of them that will have this higher need for power that we have to notice it. We have to make, we have to take issue with that. And with that child, we have to deal with this child in a different way. It's not that they're special. No, as we, hopefully it will come out later in the talk that during the next two hours with many examples, how you can deal with every child in a different way. They don't even notice it. But again, this is our job. As parents to notice Alpidarkoi. It's our job to know our children, focus on every child separately. And this is what we need to do. So coming back now to this need, this need for power. Again, Er-Nashe, Er-Nashe, both of you mentioned it before. I'll just repeat it that this is a public forum. This is not private small groups. This is a public forum with many, many people. So I'm very limited with detailed advice. Uh, we'll just talk, we'll just give just a few foundations. you say this about it. And I'll speak a bit in, in, in broad strokes, but we, I have no choice, but hopefully at some time we'll, we'll have an opportunity to get into more and more details. What is a Makhanech? We're parents. We're every parent is a Makhalech. How? What's the right word? How would you define the word? What is the role of a Makhanech? There's yes, we we all know this famous saying that every Jewish mother is a is a cook, a cleaning person, a nurse, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, blah blah all. But there is one word that you can define what a Muhammad is, in one word. We're salespeople. We're selling something. The father is a salesman, the mother is a sales lady. We're selling something. We're selling humanity, Menschlichkeit. We're selling characters, midas. We're selling Yiddishkeit. We're selling Hashem. We're selling Torah, Yiddish homes. We're selling something. We have customers. We have our children who are buyers. We are the sellers. Now, in order to be a good salesperson, we all know, the first thing you have to do is you really have to believe in the product that you sell. If you don't really, really strongly believe in what you're selling, you will not be a successful salesperson. Another part, you have to use it. If you don't use what you're selling, you're using your competitor's thing, no one is gonna buy from you. I remember once I went with, uh, when we still lived in Vienna, there's a big chain, uh, a chain store called Filmans. They sell, it's an optical shop. They have many, many locations, many stores in Austria and Germany and Europe, huge, huge uh, chain. And I once went with one of my children one of my sons to buy new glasses. And as we went in, so the salesman was, he was showing him this and this. And I noticed that the salesperson, he was wearing a, a, a very interesting style frame. Like it was green, the color was very strange. It really got my attention, but whatever. So he, he sold us something. He told us to come back in an hour to pick it up. I went back with my sons with the same guy was serving us. And all of a sudden I see he has a different pair of glasses a different color. Again, it struck me as like orange or something. So I asked him, like, you, you change your glasses every hour. It's like, interesting. He said that one of the rules in our place of work in this shop is that our bosses give us a set of frames that we have to wear every day. He said on himself, I don't wear glasses at all. I don't need glasses. It's, it's a plain light, it's a piece of plastic. There's nothing in it. I just wear it with whatever style does not go well it's sitting, we put it on, it starts moving. People see it, they, they buy it. So whatever doesn't go well, so we keep on changing. When I hear that, I said, wow, that is something, when we wear something, when we do something, that alone sells without saying a word. If parents just live, if we just live the boundaries that we wanna set in our homes without saying a word, it's sold. Now, obviously they children, they need guidance, which we'll talk about, but the number one is, Let's focus on being salespeople to use our product and to believe in our products. That's number one. Let, let me give you three examples. What happens in an average Jewish home? A child who doesn't want to daven. Let's pick an eight, nine, 10 year old child. You take the child to, to, to Shul on Shabbos. You set him next to you. You open the sitter and you tell him Davin, okay? and he stands there with a sitter, you know, like this, half asleep, and he's saying the words, he's listening, he's a a good child, he's saying, Neshma, he's all out, or half asleep. And it bothers you, so you tell the Shaykh, hey, come on, come on, you don't daven like this, this is not what we're supposed to daven. Where is your desire, where is your cheshek? You you're half asleep. This is not the way to daven, that's one example. Why are you standing there like a like a, rack, like a piece of salt? Like once actually Solomon told me that his father told him, he's standing there you're like the wife of Lloyd, like a piece of salt, like a statue of salt. When we come home, we're going to be able to dip the challah into you when we come home to eat the seed. This is this is how you done. This is one example. Let me give you another example. Now we're coming home from Shul. We sit down at the Shabbos meal to see this Shabbos. And the child acts out. He's a child any age, six, seven, eight, the age, the average age that we're talking about, and he jumps around and, and you tell the child, come on, this is not Tuesday night supper, this is a Shabbos either. this is a serious place, it's not its not just regular night, you know, the, the shulch and the, the table is now like a and the, the food is carbonous and you're decoying noodle, whereas you have to be sincere, you have to be honest, ah, serious, this is Shabbos, you're making a big deal of that. Let me give you a third example. Now it's matzah shabbos. There's a sink full of dishes. You have a 12, 13-year-old daughter and you tell her, you know what? Honey, go wash the dishes, please. I need your help. Can you please go wash the dishes? So she does it. She's listening. She walks over to the sink with her nose down. Someone once told me that her, her mother told me you, you look like a like a frog that's drinking sour milk. That's that, what the mother told me. This is what you look like. Oh, she is all sour and she goes and she washes the dishes but she you know the mother sees her attitude and tells her, you know what honey I this I don't need your favorites. Just get out of the kitchen. Either you do it with desire with with a smile, with you know show me that you're enjoying it you're washing the dishes with with the or just leave. I don't need you I don't need your help These three scenarios I gave you is very typical, very average. We're asking from a child to do something. We're asking a child to daven, we're asking a child to sit at the Shabbos meal at the Cedar like a normal person, or we're asking from the child to wash dishes. We're asking them to do something, but we added something. We added do it with a smile, do it happily, do it with warmth, do it with desire, with cheshek. we added something. And this is something when it comes to setting boundaries, if we can walk away through night just with this one message, which I'll try to explain in the next five minutes. If, we can, if this is all we can take, Ben HaShem will see a tremendous difference because it's a very simple uh, thing that I'm going to try to explain. is very simple, but we're not used to it. I didn't grow up like that, even though I had beautiful, trem- unbelievable, unbelievable parents but this is not how most of us were brought up. And and that's why we're having so many issues when it comes to setting boundaries and then listening to it. A human being is made up of three components, three parts. We have different, we have hundreds of organs, but the operating system of a human being is, is composed of three different components. We have our brain, let's call it our moyach, our brain. Now the brain itself has many components. I'm gonna focus just on one part, our knowledge. Our brain has like a hard drive of a computer, it saves information, it's a storage bank. Anything you see, anything you, le- you listen to, anything you read, goes in. Anything you hear, information, information, everything stays in your brain, that is information. Information that you have in your brain will stay there forever. You may forget it, but it's there. The person knows what's good. I can educate myself, what's good for me, what's not good for me, okay? What is healthy to eat, what is not healthy to eat. I can learn all the time, new information, educate yourself. You can learn, 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 but there's one important part in this part of our brain. We are in full control of that. Hashem gave us full Bechira, full choice, that we can choose what we allow into our brain. No one can come to you, take a book and bang it on your head and all the information from the book will be in your head. There's no such a thing. You have to read it, you have to learn it, you have to look at things, you have to listen to things. Now you can allow information to come in willingly and you can allow it just by looking around and listening around, information will go in. But you allow it, anything we know is because we allowed it into our brains and that will not change. We have full control over it. So for example, if you know that eating this particular food is not healthy for me, that will not change. That information will be there until you don't learn new information that it is good for you. No matter what I feel like, what mood I am, the information will stay the same. That is our brain, we have control over that. Our second component is our actions, what we do. We have our hands, our feet, all everything we do, our mouth, what we say. Again, what we do or we don't do, we have full choice. Hashem gave us the bechira. We have full control over that. That we can do what we want. I cannot. I don't have to do what I don't want. Someone can force me to do certain things, but then that's not me doing it. Someone else is doing it and using my body, forcing me to do it. But something that I do on my own, this is my own choice. That's the second part. So the first two parts a person has full control over it. That's our knowledge and our actions. The most important part, our third component, which is called in sort of the Leif, the heart, our feelings, loss, being sad, being happy, being angry, being relaxed. All, all these emotional feelings that we have, being in a good mood, a bad mood, waking up on the left side, waking up on the right side, all these expressions, all these mood swings, all feelings that we have, we don't have control over it. Simply said, we cannot control it. Again, I want to clarify myself. Yes, we can do certain things that will awaken in us certain feelings. The Torah says, Don't look at something that can create certain feelings in you, undesirable feelings. Sure, we can awaken good feelings and bad feelings, but that that doesn't mean you have control over it, full control. That's not called control. Control means like my actions. If I don't want to do something, no one can make me do it. If I don't want to feel something, I don't have that button. I can wake up one day in a good mood, one day in a bad mood, I don't know why, one day I'll have cheshek and desire to do certain things, to daven, and one day I won't have it. I don't know why. I'm the same person. It keeps on changing. Again, this is not for tonight. It's a very broad issue, why it happens and why Hashem does it to us, when, when. but this, I'm, I'm just focusing on the fact. The fact is that on our brain and our knowledge and our actions Hashem, Hashem, gave us control what to know and what to do. Feelings are not in our hands. If a person thinks and tries to force and change his feelings, instead of focusing on his actions, he's gonna focus on his feelings. I have to feel different. I want to feel different. Why am I feeling like that? He's gonna focus his energy on feelings. That person will fall apart and break because you can't. It just won't happen. And we all know it, but let me make it very clear to you. We all know it. We see it every day. That we can know something and feel something else completely. Who, is, who isn't on a diet today? Okay, everybody's dieting. So let's say I decided, the doctor told me, don't eat sugar. No no cake, no ice cream, no sugar. So I'm sitting at a simcha and I'm being served a plate of ice cream. I look at it. Now what happens? My brain tells me, it's not good for you. Don't eat it. But I have a desire to eat it. I'm dying to eat it. No person, no normal person will say, I don't understand myself. If I know that it's not good for me, why do I have a desire to eat it? Everybody understands this is what a human being is all about. I know that it's bad. I still have a feeling that I want to eat it. So now comes in the human being, the Bechirah that Hashem gave us, you decide who you're going to listen to. Your mouth will eat it, listen to your feelings, or your mouth will close up and listen to your brain and don't eat it. This is what we're doing all the time. So we cannot change our feelings. That is a very, very important factor that has to do with boundaries as we'll see in a minute. This is the assault. A ch- we grow up a child when the child is born until the age of approximately six, seven, depending on the child again, six, seven, eight, those two, three years, the first couple of years of a child's life, their brain is not developed. That part of the brain, the knowledge, meaning they operate completely on feelings. That's why a child can cry and laugh instantaneously. We cannot do it. If we hear something has show a bad, bad news, you can't start crying in a second. It takes time to develop. Even if you get hurt, it takes time to still start crying. A child can laugh, cry, cry, laugh back and forth, back and forth because this, this is how emotions work, they operate strictly in emotions. The brain did not kick in yet, that part of the brain. So, what happens? A child grows up young, two, three, four, five, and we keep on talking to the child as normal people, as not as a normal person, but normal parents. And we ask the child, So, Sheila, what do you like? What do you want? Do you want to do this? Do you want to sleep? Do you want to wake up? Do you want to play? Do you want to eat? We keep on asking, do you, do you, do you, who is the you? Who are you talking to? This you in the child is feelings. That's all you talk, he knows, that's all he's. that's his all essence. Now, all of a sudden, they get older, nine, 10, 11, and usually at the bar bas mitzvah, that's, they get das, that means the brain really kicks in, but it starts earlier. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, the brain wakes up and they start having questions. I don't know, what's wrong with me? that I, I, I have a feeling to do this, but I don't want to do it. My brain tells me something else and they don't have the clarity to make the difference that this is my brain and this is my feeling. And they get really confused. And if we, Shalom as parents, if we don't have the clarity on ourselves and we are not very clear with them, as we'll see now, that is the beginning of the failure when a child will not accept boundaries because they don't know what's going on with them. And that is something really, really, really important. So, for example, the three examples that we gave today before about the the child who doesn't want to daven with cheshek, with desire, or wash the dishes, whatever. Let's think about ourselves. Do I have a desire to daven every day that I want from my child? I don't have it. What do I do when I don't have cheshek to daven? I daven without it. I'm not going to close my sinning. I'm going to say the words the best that I can with Cheshik, without Cheshik, I'll try my best. The mother, when it comes to Shabbos, she has a a full sink of dishes. I have never seen someone dancing into the kitchen. "Ah, I'm going to wash dishes now. I'm so excited. I I couldn't wait all Shabbos for this moment. No one does that. We wash dishes because we have to. It's the right thing to do. So why is the child different? Why does the child have to smile and be happy to help you washing the dishes. She's doing it the same as you. Obviously, she make she can make a different face than you because she's 12 and you're 20, uh, 40, whatever it is. So hopefully you don't make the same style of face when you do it. But the bottom line is focus on their feelings. They don't have the feelings. It's fine, it's perfect, it's normal. So when we tell a child, where is your cheshe? Where is your desire? Again, we're pounding into them that the feelings this is who you are we're just nailing it again nailing it you are if you have a good feeling you're a good child if you don't have the good feelings you're a bad child and that is not true because they don't have uh, control over it just as we don't have it so i'm going to give you one more example which i got a lot of questions on it which is a big issue in every home a child who I don't know maybe this audience know uh, yeah, there's a big audience here maybe this audience doesn't have the issue but probably everybody here there is such a thing that a child has a hard time getting up in the morning getting out of bed right it's quite common so let's so what happens classic a child is struggling getting up they obviously this it happens once a week once a month every day they're having issues with getting up depending on the age of the child what happens one day the child has a trip. They have to go to school early because they're going on a trip or they're going to the airport, whatever it is. So the child wakes up an hour before time to bed. All of a sudden, the child jumps out of bed, yeah? Common sense. What can happen when we tell the child, ah, you see my If you want to get up, you can get up. Now I see when when you have a trip or, or whatever, you're going to the airport, all of a sudden you can get out of bed in the morning. You can do it, you just don't want to. When, you, when it comes to go to Heider, that's, you're not interested. It's not that you don't want to go to daven. you don't want to go to Keder. that's right up We keep on saying this, everybody in their own words, that hey, now I have proof that if you want to get up, you can. All the other days when you're not, that means you don't want to. To tell this to a child, first of all, it's, it's an outright lie, it's just not true, and it's poison. tell this to a child because a child does want to get up on time you know why they don't because they're having the same problem as we have when we have to get up in the morning i also have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning why do i get out because i have to go to minion i have to go to work i have a reason that is very powerful more powerful than my desire to stay in bed so when when the child doesn't have that you can't expect from a child for him going to Khaider or school should be on the same level as you going to your job. It's just not, it's just not, it's, it can never happen. This is a child. So when they have a trip or going to the airport, yes, then they're equal to us. As the same reason we can get out of bed in the morning, they can get out of the morning. So what do we have to do when, we're, when we have a child that's struggling to get up, to get out of bed in the morning on time? Take a day when they were successful when they were able to get out of bed and tell the child, you know, Kami, I saw you in the morning when you got out of bed. I noticed on you how hard it was for you. Wow. Even though it was so hard for you, you still did it. You did what you wanted. I know it was hard for you, but you still did what you wanted. This is the message you want to give to a child in a healthy way. Basically, I know it's hard for you. You don't have the desire or whatever it is. Tell them I notice that your feelings, that you're struggling with your feelings, but there's nothing you can do about it. But you're still doing, focus on their actions, not on their feelings. Can, and that is a very, very important factor that we have to really implement and really first, we have to have the clarity on ourselves, because we suffer as adults a lot with these issues, with feelings and uh, we're not going to get into it right now but the number one is we have to be very clear for ourselves exactly what we can control, what we cannot control and then don't blame yourself for having feelings that are not appropriate don't blame your child that is, goes together so what do what do we have to do? let's focus as, uh, on the facts now and setting the boundaries what we have to do is number one, to build up the knowledge of our children, focus on their brain. That is something, give them information, load them with information, use any opportunity to talk to your child. We have so many opportunities that we can, while we're doing something, give them the knowledge, give them the information, why you're doing it. All of it, build them, they should know as much as possible when they have to do something, why they have to do it. Now, if they know why they have to do it, and they're going to do it, there's a big chance that the feelings will also go along. But if they have no idea why, why should they have any feelings? If you tell a child to have cheshek and desire to dabu, and he's nine, 10 years old, he has no idea what davening is all about and on their level. Give them information, what it means, what it does. Again, it's not a trick that it's going to work, but we you you still have a chance. So our work is, as parents, our duty, to be our the Muhammad of our children is give information to the brain of our ch- of the child. Give them information. Talk to them. Tell them what to do. Tell them what not to do. Don't ask. Uh, don't ask them to have feelings to whatever they're doing because there's nothing they can do about it. They have no control over that. So when we tell a child, let's use the examples that we started with. Practically speaking, when we tell a child to do something, wash, go wash the dishes, go to sleep, setting boundaries in the home about bedtime, what to buy, what clothing to buy, what to wear, what not to wear. We're not gonna get into details. We'll leave it open for you for questions. But the bottom line is when we're asking a child to do something, be very, very clear with the child. Tell them exactly what you expect from the child, do this, don't do this, Uh, only things they can do. Don't get any feelings involved. And if you do that properly, again, it's not like if someone didn't do it all along and all of a sudden you're gonna start doing it today, you're not gonna see the results right away. It takes time. You can't take something that said it it, it was broken seven years and you wanna fix it overnight. It doesn't work. You, You gotta do it consistently. Start focusing on asking give them information and tell them what to do and what not to do. And um, if that's the case of sort for example, if you tell a child um, to do something, you set, you're set setting a certain boundary in your home and your home is set up in such a way that you only, you're, you're you're an honest person. You always ask what's right. You don't ask them to do things that are not right. Meaning, for example, feelings. The child will trust you. Because the child needs you to watch over them. They need boundaries. I always say every time a child, whenever we go up, let's say on a high. If you go out on a porch, which is on the third floor, and you want to bend over to look down, there is a gate. What do you do before you bend over and you lean on the gate? You shake the gate to make sure it's strong enough to hold me. So you're gonna someone's gonna say, I don't understand. If you want if you want the gate to be strong, why are you trying to shake it? I'm shaking it because I wanna make sure that it's strong. Children need strong parents, parents that they can trust. A yes is a yes, a no is a no. Clearly said in a calm way, if you scream when you say the yes, that means you're not sure with your yes. Why are you screaming? When a child asks you you scream, no, I'm not allowing you to do that. Why are you screaming? That means you're not sure about yourself. So you have to convince yourself. That's why you're screaming. The child picks up on that, so what are they going to, they're going to test you again. They're going to test you again. They want to. They want to be protected. They want to have the boundaries, but we have to be consistent. It has to be healthy. The message. The boundaries have to be set very clearly, very strongly. Strongly means honest, honest health. Meaning don't ask something that is not right that the child cannot do. It has to be age appropriate. And you have to always ask them to do things in a calm way. I cannot stress that enough. If someone is, if if there is the only time in a home when you use your voice in a screaming way is only when a child is in danger. That is the only time you do that. When a child does something dangerous. And you got to stop them, call Turkey, stop. You get a scream. So if it's in a household that you never scream and all of a sudden you're screaming, the child will stop doing what they're doing when when the child is in danger. Other than that, there's never a reason to scream. And if you're screaming, it's a sign of weakness. And if you're weak, the child will take advantage of you. So why should he listen to you if you're a weak person? But if you're strong, meaning you're consistent, you're firm, a yes means a yes. And because the child is going to ask, 10 times the same thing over and over again, you're not gonna change your opinion because of that. But if you do that consistently, in a very calm way, I already told you no. And he asks again, no, you say it with the same calm voice. If you keep on raising, raising, raising your voice every time, the no gets higher and higher. And then at the 10th time, you say yes, that is the worst that can ever happen. What, What happens to a child is, a child once told me, oh, in our house, we have a sales price. We have a price list. As the what does mean a price list. Oh, we know that if we wanna go out to play in the evening out on the street, we know that we gotta ask three times. From mommy, we gotta ask three times. From Tati, we gotta ask four times. If you wanna have a sleepover, oh, that's a 15 time. We gotta ask 15 times. After 15 times, we're getting yes. It's not gonna work. That's not a healthy boundary. A healthy boundary is focus only on what the child can do that's number one, say it in the right tone, in the right way, be consistent, and the child will listen to you. You never have to be afraid that the child will get turned off. we were so afraid to be strict with our children to set the healthy boundaries, because what's going on, that all, so many stories that we have, that we hear children leaving, it, no child left because of this, never ever ask anyone who's involved dealing with these children who leave our system. No one left because they had a healthy parent who gave them healthy boundaries, what the child needs. I think I'll stop right here and I'll, I'll give you back the floor.
1: Wow, beautiful opening, Um, A lot of people are texting questions. Again, before we get into the questions, uh, we have Rabbi Tauber here, this is, you know, this is his Indian, this is what he's again. if anybody has any questions, please text me, Osher Parnas, we have a list of people that want to go live, there's a bunch of questions that got sent in, we want to get through, and uh, there's a lot to ask, Chinuch is a, is a big topic, um, so definitely let's get into it, we'll start off with a few questions, Rabbi Tauber, Yes. and let's go, okay, a little more detailed. So somebody sent in, when I ask my child to help around the house, to put away simple stuff, is that considered a Chinuch thing, I'm teaching them to clean up nach Shabbos. Or is it considered that I'm
2: controlling my child's behavior? Very, very good question. And that is a very broad question because it's not only with helping; it's it's something that uh, takes over the entire household. Is telling a child what to do a chenuch issue or a control issue? Okay. Now that depends on the child. Uh, that is something I, I, I think I should clarify. It depends on the child. Some children. Who, who their need for power, for example, is at level two or three on the scale, they will accept any um, um, demand or request with no problem. Do this, do that, no problem, no problem. They'll, they'll just listen because they wanna listen and they have no problem accepting it. If you have a child that has a higher need for power and you tell them, for example, what your question was, clean up the room, now, if this is a child with high with a high need for power, what happens is, even though the child wants to do it, they really want to. I have no doubt in that. The child wants to listen. They want to please the parents. They want to do it. What, hap- what happens was they just got stung. Ouch. They were, It just hurts them. It's just a matter of fact that they're in pain that someone told them what to do, even if they want to do it. So what is the, that does not mean that if you have a child like that and the child interprets it into control, a child like that takes it from a chilech aspect and may, turns it into a controlling thing. Oh, you're controlling me all the time, you're controlling me all the time. We're not controlling them. We're, we're telling every child the same thing. One child has no problem with it. This particular child that blames and claims that they're being controlled is because they're having a hard time getting it. So with a child like that, you wanna deal with this child a little bit different. So I think if you, should I explain, give you two, three examples, how to deal with such a child?
1: One or, one or two examples, yeah.
2: Okay, so i give you a, one example. A child that has a high need for power, number one, which is common sense, limit your requests. We have no idea, anybody of us, if we should ever put in a recorder into our kitchen, Supper time from five in the afternoon till bedtime. How many times we tell our children what to do? Sit down, get up, do this, do this, be quiet, talk, pick up the phone, hang up the phone. Oh, so many requests, sit down. We keep on telling children what to do. Now every child, no problem. But with a child with this high need for power, every time they're being told what to do, it's a stock. They got stung. Wow. Again, again, again. So it comes to a point that they break. So with a child that you know, get to know your child, that this child has a hard time accepting requests. They have a hard time accepting boundaries. Even if they want to do it, first of all, limit your requests. You don't have to tell them when you put their supper on the table, there's no reason you have to tell the child, go sit down. He or she will go and sit down and eat it. You'll see, they will not go to sleep and the supper will stay on the table. Maybe they'll do it once because they're so used to you telling them what to do, they'll t- they'll test you. But in the long run, they do what's right. They know what's right. That's one thing. The second thing is give them choice. A child that has the high needs for power, give them options, give them choice. And that can be done in many different ways. It can be as simple as the mother, the child is playing in the kitchen. This could be a five-year-old and the child is playing in the kitchen and the mother is preparing, let's say she's going to make supper now. And she asks the child, honey, what, what do you think I should make for supper today? Should I cook rice or potatoes? For you, it makes no difference. You're gonna do whatever the child tells you. But that child got a dose of power. My mother asked me what to do, what to make for supper. She doesn't even know what she's getting. That tank of power just got an infusion. It got filled. So anytime you give a child like that choices, it fills that need. So when it comes, it's full, full, full. It's 75% full. Now when it comes to going to sleep and you tell this child, now it's bedtime, you have to go to bed. It's still hard for them, but it's much easier for them to listen to you to go to bed at nine o'clock with a full stomach, meaning a full tank of power than an empty tank. And that is something where if you have a child that has issues with accepting control, accepting boundaries, give them, this is one example of giving them choice. Like telling they should tell you what to do in certain ways. Or practically speaking, the child is playing outside. And it's bedtime. So the child wants to go out to to play. So you tell the child, so you know, Moshi, eight o'clock is bedtime, you know that, right? So you're going out to play now. What do you think? What time do you are you gonna get in to be in bed on time at eight? You give him the option. He's probably gonna say 7:45. The last 15 minutes. Uh, 15 minutes is enough for me to go up to, but give him the chance. I gave you the option. So let him at 7.45, you make sure that he comes in. And if he's not in bed at eight, the next day you tell him, look, yesterday it didn't work out. Do you think you can do it in 15 minutes? You want to try it again? Or do you, maybe you want to change your options. You can work with a child and I'm, I'm doing it very, as a matter of fact, but this happens all the time. Your boundaries are strong. Eight o'clock is better. That is something you will not let go because the child needs that boundary. That shows the child, I have a parent that protects me, knows what's good for me. You don't abuse your boundaries, never. I just want to
1: elaborate a little bit more on this. somebody texted in. It's a good point. How do I stay in control of myself when a child doesn't cooperate, doesn't pitch and doesn't stop fighting? So you tell the child, 8 o'clock, you tell the child, clean up the dishes, help it. Yeah, and then and the child says, you know, you know, nice way, Kishmach doesn't do it. So, how do we stay in control and swallow that pill? Log- I mean, it's emotional, so it's hard.
2: Okay. Now, Obviously, you understand this question has nothing to do with Philip, now.
1: Right. It's the self control of it, because the child... Self
2: control. Is- There's nothing to do with Philip. So, again, it's information. I can tell you what I use for myself. Yeah. The more we educate ourselves, If I understand, why do we get so upset when a child disobeys our orders? For two reasons. Number one, we think that the child is bad. This is a bad child with a huge answer. I got to crush this answer out of him. Push it out. That's number one, why we get so upset that I'm having a bad child. What can I do? And the second reason is because we take it personal. That the reason my child is... Not listening to me is because he's laughing, and his life is like he doesn't. He ignores me. Both are not true. This child is not a bad child that he doesn't listen, and he's not doing it to spite you. It has nothing to do with you. He doesn't mean you. So the more you understand where this child is coming from, you can stay calm because you, you like any nurse go to a hospital. The nurses go from bed to bed. They have sometimes, I, I watch it sometimes, if, if unfortunately you have to be in a hospital sometimes, I like to watch the emotions behind their actions. They can deal with people who scream, say bad words to them, like really not appreciating the work they do. They they don't even, they don't even blink. Why? Because they know these are sick people. A person who is in pain is in a bad mood. They will not be appreciative. Most people, they'll be obnoxious. They know it. They don't take it personally. Anybody, any professional who takes their work personal will get burned out very soon, very fast. So the same is with parents. If you know your child does not mean, he doesn't mean to hurt you, to disrespect you, he's doing it for their own needs. This child is basically hurt. They're in pain. Someone told me what to do. It's very hard for them to accept, has nothing to do with you. So if I know that the child does not mean me, I'll stay calm or just say it again. Now, this depends on the age. So in a young child that you can physically take and put into bed, that is one thing. Older children, you cannot physically pick them up and put them into bed because just it just won't work. So obviously, this is something I don't think we'll have time to get into right. How to set how to move to the next step after the boundaries if they don't listen on a constant basis about punishing about rewards and all this all these things how do you deal with that again this is something we discuss in great detail in the course but in, in one word as answering your question how do you stay calm build get information understand why the child is doing it and
0: a lot of a ahead. lot of emotion emotional work for the parents right a lot of emotional work. I just, I know we're not discussing the um, teachers. I just, if I can throw in, what should a teacher or a Rebbe do with such a child that needs control? You're talking about who 28 or 32 in the class. Um, I love that
2: question. Thank you. I really appreciate it because I have something to say on that. Once uh, a, a teacher told me, she asked me about a specific girl that she had in class. Uh, just, was totally out of control. She was a very difficult kid, difficult home, difficult kid. So she asked me and longs to make uh, to make a long story short, she told me, look, it's either me or her. I can take I have three girls in the class, 29 I can deal with. They're all kinds of uh, it's also not easy. This child, if this child will be in my class, I'm leaving. I can't. It's either me or her. I told her, you know, if if you, uh, a doctor who works as a psychiatrist, who works in a psychiatric ward in a hospital, what's his job? He, go, he comes in, he walks, goes from room to room, evaluating his patients, looking at them. These are unhealthy, uh, psychiatric ward, you're talking about very unhealthy people. He observes them, looks at them, and prescribes the medicine accordingly. Imagine a doctor comes into a room and there's a, a patient screaming and hollering, Gah! Off my room, I don't talk about it, no, no. screaming. The doctor, oh, whoa, whoa. it's either me or you. If you're not going to stop screaming, I'm leaving. That's not a doctor. Listen to the screams. This, this is an unhealthy person. He or she is screaming for a reason. Listen, prescribe medication for the reason they're screaming. You, you're a teacher. You're telling me I'm leaving if this child is in class. So why are you a teacher? You don't belong in the class to begin with. I'm not talking about as unique, unique cases. I'm talking about 80, 90% of issues that happens in a class that either school doesn't make a difference. When you have a child that's struggling, that's why I'm the rabbi, I'm the teacher, not to say, you know what? If you're sick, I'm not gonna be your doctor. I'm, I'm the doctor because you're sick. If you have a child that's struggling in class, there is a lot along those lines that can be used in the classroom as well. In a certain way, it's easier because they're all the same age. At home, you have different ages. So the approach to the seven-year-old is different than the 17-year-old. In a class, when you take a certain approach, they're all the same age. It's much easier. You see the progress much faster and, and you understand the issues much easier because in a child, when you have 30 children in the class and the teacher comes in and says, everybody sit down. It's so black and white to see 27 children will sit down, and two of them will remain standing for another 10 15 seconds, and one will have to be told again until they sit down. What just happened? 27 children have no problem accepting the boundaries, rules, control. You don't they know they have to sit down, there's no question. All every child knows the teacher comes in, you have to sit down, they're willing to listen. So 27 sit down immediately. Two of them, they're in the diff, they have they're, their need for power is number seven, eight. So uh, they just, uh, 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 okay, I'll wait five seconds and I'll sit down. And one who's number nine or 10 has to be told again. And if you approach this child, he's you talking, you're a machutzef. you're not listening, you're disrespecting. This child has no clue what you want from there or him. I've, this is not connected to chutzpah at all. This child is a good child, wants to listen. They were just beaten with a stick. They were told to sit down. They're playing. You tell a child, a three-year-old child who's playing with a ball. Okay, finish, pull down the ball. One more throw. They need to throw it one more time. Why? Not that they don't wanna to listen to you. They, it's hard for them. Some children will put it down right away. Don't take it personal. They don't mean you. It's it's about them. And if you understand that and you tell a child, wow, I notice it's hard for you to listen. I notice it's hard for you to sit down and you're still doing it because you're a good child. Basically, this is what the child needs to hear. That, yes, it's hard for me, but I'm still being looked at and appreciated for who I
0: am. Very good. Okay, so there's an interesting question that came in. It's basically... Uh continuation of what we spoke about before. So my son understands the value of doing a mitzvah, but when it when it comes to actually doing it, he does it without any excitement, without without passion. How can I help him to be more enthe- enthusiastic about when he does something? He should do it with a gishmak.
2: Okay. I think part of it was answered before, in the beginning of our talk. Um, anytime a child, when, when you have a child who is struggling with, yes, they know what they have to do, but they have no desire, like, like you asked, they have no chayshik to do it. The reason why this happens is not that because the child doesn't want to do it. It's just for the same reason we don't do it. We also don't have the desire and chayshik all the time to do what we're supposed to do, and we're still doing it. Maybe I should, um, I can give you an amazing story which I heard from a close relative of mine. In Borough Park, there's a big tzaddik, the Rachmestrevke Rebbe, to Zangazen one of the old, old tzaddikim of our generation. Once a child, a father came in with a, a B'mitzvah boy to the Rebbe, before the B'mitzvah, with the critical, uh, critical, you want to get a broche for the B'mitzvah, and after the Rebbe gave him his broche, this goes back about uh, 25 years ago, after the Rebbe gave him his bruche, the father told the Rabbi that my ma- ma- son wants to ask something. He has a question. What's his problem? Yeah. Um, something he has no cheshev desire to dabble. Just doesn't like doubling. And now that he's becoming a Mitzvah, what should he do? He has to double three three times a day and he has no cheshev to daven. What should he do? The Rebbe should give him advice how to have cheshev. So the rabbi. Took took the hands of this boy and looked him eye to eye and told him, You sometimes don't have Hishik to So he shook his head, no. He said, I want to tell you something. I also don't have sometimes Khaishik to You know what I do? I don't. I don't without it. Now, whenever I tell this story, Halavai, should I have the Khaishik at Ne'ilah Yom Kippur that this letter said that he has no chayshik to daven. he's a big tzaddi, but in his level he said that sometimes I don't have chayshik to do What do I do? I'm davening without it. This boy walked out with a dose of information that helped him his whole life. You don't have to only daven only if you have cheshik. and if you don't have chayshik, there's something wrong with you. Yes, sometimes I don't have a desire to do it. this is our job as parents, to give them the information. You, you have control over your actions. You have control over your knowledge. You know you want to do it. You understand what you're doing. You're doing it. This is what Hashem wants you to do. Nase, the nishma. Hashem wants from us, we should do. The nishma means we should hear, we should learn. Nowhere in the Torah does it say that we have to do things with cheshit, with desire. It's not mentioned. This is something that Hashem gives us, again, this is a whole topic on its own. So I think that's why bring down, why yes, why not, when yes, when no. But the fact is to answer your question, a child doesn't have a desire to do what they know because they're normal people. Normal, they're healthy. Okay,
1: let's go, let's go to some live questions. You're on. Hello? Yeah.
0: Yes, I can hear yeah, you. Okay, what about the step before that um that like what like what boundaries you set when it comes to the child not even wanting to do the mitzvah forget the desire level um the child he's a good kid I just don't want to dive in so I'm not going to dive in do you so we're not even talking again about the having the cheish that comes along with it but we're talking about how much do you push how much do you say okay I'm not going to push now because I don't want to push them too hard Uh, and in terms of any mitzvah
2: very good question okay yes thank you for bringing it up um obviously um, it depends on the age of the child obviously um when a child i'm going to use your example yes you about davening okay a child who we're not talking about he doesn't have a desire to daven he doesn't want to daven at all okay so it depends on the age it's got to be age appropriate sometimes unfortunately i've seen it we'll take a child who 8, nine, ten, and we're telling them, for example, on Shabbos, to daven from the beginning to the end. Why? We have to understand, let, let's put the put the fact straight. A child until Barba's mitzvah does not have to daven. They put her from all the mitzvahs. It's only because of that they have to daven. We want them to daven that when they become Barba's mitzvah, it's hard to start something that you've never done in your life. So we're being mechan of them. If by me pushing this child at the age of 9, 10 to daven will be counterproductive to him. Why am I doing this? I'm just doing the opposite. I'm going against my own will. I'm trying to be mechanach this child to daven and I'm basically being mechanachem to hate davening. We hear this from children all the time, not from children, from adults. They hate davening because they were forced to daven. It became a bad thing. So let's... Put it in perspective. Number one, again, this is our own work as parents. I'm starting out with a ground at ground zero. The child does not have to double. Once that's clear, now let's start. How old is this child? Does this is this child struggling with ever? If the child has a hard time saying the words, they're struggling, make them say much less. Give them the big words. If a child has a hard time doubling, Make them say only Nishmas, they don't have to say everything because or Barsha, those that are printed with big words, because it's easier for them to say. I always tell parents when I'm many times asked from parents with an oldest child. My child is eight, nine, ten. It's my oldest child, a boy. He doesn't want to do And I want him to doven. So I ask him, What are you asking to? Well, I'm not gonna any help, but from Hodi to lady like the main part of davening, he should have so I always tell these parents, do me a favor, write this down on a piece of paper, write the date that you asked me this question. I asked this in this date, a question about my Moshe, who is 10 years old, that I want him to daven the entire davening on Shabbos. What should I do? Put it away. when your youngest child in 20 years from now will be 10 years old, you're gonna come back to me and say, I don't know what to do, the, the rabbi of my child, is making him double, He's sending home the papers from Heider that he has to double this. It's way too much. What are you? He's only 10 years old. Why does he have to double so much? What happened? The children didn't change. It's the same 10 years old. We changed. This is my oldest, this is my youngest. With oldest children, it's always that we're, they made us parents. So we always want them to do more. The second goes down a level. So, so we as again. But let's focus on ourselves, answering your question. It depends on the age of the child. It depends why the child doesn't want to die. If it's a healthy child who knows how to die, they know the if. You're only asking them what is age him or her, what is age appropriate for that age. Then you stand on your grounds the same as with any boundary. but make sure not to ask them to do to be to do it happily with a big smile on their face, this is not what you're doing. You're just gonna do, now it's Shabbos morning, for example, come, stand by the table, open the sitter, you're gonna say this one page. If you're consistent and calm, the child will do it. 100%, it takes time until they get used to it, that my parent, mother, father, will only ask me to do what is age appropriate. They do it with warmth. They understand me that I don't want to do it. It's all that is all part of the package. So you're making them listening to you by understanding them. I hope my answer was clear enough.
1: Yeah, Marida, okay. We have so many more questions to go. You're on live.
0: Uh, Hi. Um, So my my ex would always say that you can't make a child do something. You have to convince them to want to do it on their own. Uh, to me, this was almost like letting the child set their own boundaries um, and giving them control of the dynamic. So I'm
2: just wondering, if, was this attitude a proper perspective? Okay. Um, okay, very, very. It's a broad question. There's a lot of details to it, so I'll just pick on one thing because we don't. The time doesn't allow too much. A hundred percent. I'm 100% with you. I'm not sure what, what, what your understanding is that there's no such a thing for a child to set their own boundaries because you're just contradicting each other. A child cannot set their own boundaries. They have their own needs. They have their own wants. What they want and need. Yes, but boundaries is not something that a child can set. They don't have the, the ability to do it. They cannot stick to it. They cannot be consistent with boundaries. They're children. Boundaries is always set by a parent, but when it comes to um, being, how lenient and i not, again, there is a line that I use, again, coming back to the example that we used before about getting up in the morning. It's something, uh, I once discussed it uh, at home with my wife, uh, which a lot of the information I have is from her. Um, she gave me a line that I use a lot when it comes to getting up, making children get up. Um, she told me, Our job is not to make our children get up. Our job is to make our children grow up. Now, once you focus, my focus is to make my child grow up. That is my focus. So sometimes it's get up. Sometimes it's get down. Sometimes it's eat. Sometimes it's don't eat. There's no rules how you make a child grow. So you set your boundaries and it's all feeding that end desire of, making our children growing up. So to answer your question, no, we cannot have our children set their own desires, 100% not, it's self-understood, but at the same time, we have to work with the child, with their nature, with their needs, that they should take it in the proper way.
1: Let's get into this question, this question, everybody gets the question, you ready? Whatever I ask my daughter to do, her answer is always, why? Do I explain, do I have to explain everything, or just say because the father said, the mother said, how do you deal when the child says, why, why, why?
2: Can I ask you why? Why? (laughs) (laughs) You're saying it so naturally. Okay.
1: Today I probably heard it 13 times, so that's fine. Why?
2: (laughs) Okay. That's a very, very, very good point to bring up. Um, Again, if it's when a child, let's say if you tell a child it's bedtime, it's eight o'clock, Let's say eight year old, nine o'clock, it's bedtime, you gotta go to bed. Why? This child did not ask you why. Okay, the child knows that it's bedtime. There's no lack of knowledge here. So, when a child asks you why on something that you are convinced that they know why, you're not gonna answer the why because you're making a fool of yourself. This is not what they were asking. They said why, they meant something else completely. They meant to say, I don't want to. They meant to say, I'm going to drag out my conversation with you for another 15 minutes so I don't have to go to bed. They have all different reasons why they're saying it. They're just saying why, so you don't answer. This is when you know that they know the answer to the why. If you don't know, you you, you never be done. Meaning you don't go the khumra. If you don't know if the child knows the answer to the why, give them the benefit of the doubt to answer. Now, when to answer, you don't always you don't always have to answer at the moment. So, if you tell a child, let's say the child says, "I want to go out to play," it's nine o'clock at night, and you tell the child, "No, you cannot get out. You cannot go to play. Uh, no, it's not. It's too late. You can." But why? Why this girl? This friend? Girl, they get into why. So, you're not, if you're going to start answering them right now, the why. You're going to go into an argument. It's never going to end. So what do you say to the child in that moment, at that moment? You say, look, you're not going out to play now. It's too late. I understand you ask me why. I want you to understand why. Because this way, you'll know it for yourself. But not now. Now you're not going out to play. Tomorrow, if you, you come to me, ask me why, I'll explain it to you. 80% she will not come back tomorrow. Ask you why, because she knows why. And if she does come back to you, you have an opportunity to give her, again, you give, to build up their knowledge, explain to them, it's dark, whatever it is, explain them the reason why. But again, you gotta be careful that you really know the answer why. Just don't, if we're just shooting no, and then we don't really hold what we, we don't really need to know the reason why we said no, we're, we're in trouble. So again, we have to, again, this comes back to the beginning. We have to be very serious with ourselves Whatever we do ask from a child, it should be it should be appropriate and consistent. So the child there's no lack of trust. When the child asks you why it's not a reason. It doesn't show that they don't trust you. It's something else. Either they really don't know why or they're just trying to buy time or basically saying I don't want So that, that is the answer. In short, when the child keeps on saying why, 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 you have to know Why,
1: why, why? I want to get into a big topic. It's a general question, but I think this is a very, I think this is going to open up to share a lot. Bottom line, there's certain things every mishpucha has, you know, certain fine lines, certain things not, certain things, yeah, whatever that is. So the question is more general. When and in which areas do we have to give in sometimes and when do we have to stand by the principles? For example, how do I know I can't be makba on everything? So it's what, if so, it's only my bottom lines I stand up for, like, what, what, when is Kadai to give and when is Kadai not to give? In, and what, what things can we be more flexible on? I know it's a very broad question.
2: Um, that is a very, <laughs> no, 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 it's a very good question, but it's so, I don't even know where, where, where to hold on to it, like which, which end to start with, because there's so many. Um, um, um,
1: is there any general rule? Certain things that never, never, you never bend on. Whether it's Yiddishkeit or whatever, is there certain things that even though you say eight o'clock and you tell the kid ten times to go to sleep at eight thirty, you tell the kid not to. Like, what what things that we have to be solid on? What things can can we be negotiable
2: on? Okay, that, it's, it's obvious. Something that is against halacha, it's not negotiable. And the, the way you explain, if a child wants to do something that is not allowed, I'll be told to do or not to do, whatever it is. You just don't scream, no, we're not allowed to. It's an opportunity to explain to a child something deeper than just saying no. And for example, um, um, you can tell the child, look, I understand you want to do something, but the halacha says that we're not allowed to do it. Let's say a child wants to play with a certain game on Shabbos, okay, it's a classic, okay? A small child, six, seven-year-old, certain game, and they know a Shabbos, but so you can tell the child in one second, we're not, we're not allowed to play. It's It. We're not allowed to play with it. Blah, blah, blah. And you shut her up. Or you can tell the child, look, I understand that you want to play with it. I fully understand you. But we have a that I'm not in control over that. I also listen to that same shulchanorech when I also have sometimes desires to do differently. I always listen to the same shulchanorech. Wh- whoever lives, this house is has a mezuzah on the door, has sforim in the shank, We are governed by Hashem and His the rules of this house is not set by me or by mommy or whatever. It's set by Hashem. Whoever lives in this house listens to those rules. And it's beautiful because we can learn it and understand what's happening, what we're doing. So basically you're telling the child in a very nice way that you're not just saying no, you're not allowed to do it. This is when it comes to Allah. You're throwing in the beauty of Yiddishkeit. And he also, at the same time, giving the child information that this house is ruled by aloha. So it's not, I'm not allowing you to do it. It's Hashem who doesn't want you to do it. And I'm also listening to him. So I have no right to tell Hashem, okay, I'm gonna break the rules for my daughter and for my son. I cannot do that. I don't own the shachnar to do that. That is when it comes to aloha. When it comes to other things, again, this is something that's very unique. It's very unique for every child. It depends what the rule is, when you do give in, when you don't give in. And Mr. Shen, I'll talk about it when we when we do the closing. I'll elaborate maybe on that point, when to give in, when not to give in in a, in, in a deeper way. But because part of being a, a healthy person is to give in sometimes. You don't want to be obnoxious. You don't want to be in action. saying no, 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 never. I never give up, I never give in because you want your child, your child also to give in sometimes. So when do we juggle that? How do we teach our children to give in? We'll talk about it later. But to answer your question, that is basically, if it's Aloche, it's something we cannot do. And you explain why we cannot do it. If it's not Aloche, if it's more something you ask them to do, again, if it's bedtime, for example, and the child is really wanting one night to stay up a little bit longer, there's nothing wrong. If you're very consistent on, on, on every night that bedtime is bedtime and all the rules are kept and one night you really understand why the child wants to stay up later she has something important to do or a phone call to make whatever it is so you give him you say you, eight, eight nine o'clock is bedtime but to know i know you have something important no problem you can stay up another 50 minutes there's nothing wrong with that that doesn't mean that you're lowering your standards at all
0: very interesting. Um, I want to take it to the next level while you're talking about chinuch, the way you put it down with clarity and uh, it's very gishmak, it sounds very relaxed but I know there are sometimes houses that it's, it's a little bit more noisy than that and if they would be sitting with you maybe you'll be more relaxed but there's a lot going on and the kids could be chitzbedik and they don't listen and the uh, the question basically is my child he, he talks back doesn't listen how to stay calm you know you know you got to take care of it you can't let them do whatever they want and can i tell my child you you're being disrespectful how do we deal with the heavy heavy emotions when it does come up when it's hard when the when the kids scream back and this kids
2: Obviously, when a when child talks back to a parent in a way, a real chutzpah way, using words that are not appropriate or something like that, you have to stop it every single time. It should never, ever be ignored. If a child uses a bad word towards a parent, it can never, ever be ignored. Because if you let it go once, the child got a message that it's okay. So it depends on your mood. So if my father is in a good mood, I can say bad things to him. And if he's in a bad mood, I cannot say anything to him. Something that's not allowed to be used against a parent, chutzpah, like you mentioned before, should never be allowed. And how do you tell a child not to be chutzpah? You don't have to start screaming. Like (laughs) once a father was screaming on his child not to scream. The child was screaming and you're screaming on the child not to scream. You can't make a fool out of yourself. The child cannot answer you back. But again, if you're using common sense, when the child is Hispanic, you tell your child in a calm way. The the calmer you are, the stronger the message. A hundred percent, always. Talking on a low tone. No, I'm sorry. You said something now very not nice to me. This is not allowed to me don't want you to ever say that word again. You say it's very calm. And maybe the child will say it again to test your patience. And if you lose your patience, you lost, not the child. Why would I lose it? Again, the child is testing my strength, my boundaries. We should never be on the same level as our children. If your child goes onto the floor, lays down and starts screaming and kicking, and you lay down next to the child, also screaming and kicking on the child, Who's the father? Who's the child? Who's the mother? Who's the child? We don't know who is who. They're both doing the same action. One is doing it with, with the hands and the feet. So one is doing it with the mouth. We're all doing the same. We're both screaming and hollering. So we have to again. We're parents. We are the parents. We have to remain calm. You're asking how? Again, it takes work. Yes, sometimes it's very hard. Uh, you come home. You come home, and the house is a tvoortafrede. It's all up topsy topsy fair and everything, they're really, really trying to get you. Yes, sometimes it's hard and sometimes we lose it. We're not angels, it's fine. We can make mistakes, but depends how, how often it happens and, and how intense it is. We're, we're allowed to make mistakes, we're human beings. It's not, it's part of chilech part of is for parents to make mistakes and how we deal with the mistakes. But again, when it comes down to staying calm, it's strictly our own work, understanding why it's happening, so we don't lose ourselves.
1: Beautiful, Rabbi Tower. Okay, so many more questions I want to get to. This is the question, the million dollar question. Why is the time of the Shabbosuda so pressured between the seats? Everyone wanting to say to the Ratero, people refusing to say the kids being rude to each other, not a bonding and enjoyable time for our family. What can we do to change these sudas so they're not so painful? Maybe one day we can actually enjoy the Shaba Suda or Yamtuf Suda
2: together.
0: Whew.
2: Okay, <laughs> uh, this is a long one and um, uh, I'm going to really uh, actually answer to this in great detail is will take way too long. I'll just maybe touch on it, the one or two points that we can squeeze in tonight. The number one big issue with Shabbos meals, Shabbos eaters that we're all having issues with is not our fault. The main reason why we're all struggling with it is the fault of the coloring books, the storybooks. You may ask me what I mean. If you buy a book that tells you a story about a Shabboside in a certain family, you open up the picture of the book, you're gonna see a picture of a long table, the father sitting with a big smile, everything, there's not a crumb on the table, everything is beautifully set, the mother sitting across from him, all the children, the little baby sitting in the high chair, Everybody is smiling. A beautiful, beautiful picture of a Shabbos. Now, this picture never, ever happened, never will happen. And sometimes when we see pictures like that, it gets into our brain that I'm doing something wrong, that my house doesn't look like that picture, not even close to it. So, number one, let's put the facts straight. A Shabbos does not have to be a perfect picture. It's normal, it depends on the ages of the children. You have all different ages, one is jumping around the older ones are sitting. So let's, that's number one, to set our mode into the Shabbos Seeda is, don't expect a picture of those of the ones that we see all the time. That's number one. That lowers our standards, number one. We're normal. Now, when it comes to actually sitting, obviously it depends. But with the older children, I'll start from the older down. Older children, if the, the Shabbos meal is not an interesting place, to sit at, why should they want to be there? If they sit at the Shabbos I'm talking about a good family, a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old sits there, and the, the father is talking about things that he has no clue what he's talking about. He doesn't understand it, even if it's toilet. The child doesn't understand it. He's not talking to the level of the child. Or he's constantly singing. The father loves to sing. So he sings from beginning to that, one song after the other, the child hates to sing. There's nothing wrong with it. So you expect the child to enjoy to sit there? How can you do that? Why should he enjoy it? So our work as parents is, number one, prepare properly for every age. Focus for the five minutes I'm going to focus on my 18-year-old, five minutes on my 17-year-old, five minutes on my 15-year-old. Yes, it's work. There's no question about it, but well, welcome to parenting. Sure, it's work. We have to prepare for the Shabbos. There's beautiful books and sform out there to prepare stories, and talk. I always say, when it comes to Shabbos, you know, Pesach, we always say Kadesh. Kadesh, yeah? Pesach, Vanacht. We will say it in Yiddish. And the came Everybody knows it. When the father comes home from Shiel, he puts on the white kittel and makes kiddish fast, so the small children don't, don't fall asleep they should be able to ask Manishtana, the four kashas. Friday night is the same thing, just with a little twist. Kaddish, when the father comes home from Shiloh Friday night, he should make fast kiddish. that he should not fall asleep, that he should be up for the whole seder. So he should be able to ask kashas, and the children should be able to answer. Communicate. Talk at the Shabbos subjects, topics that the children enjoy. It's not, I know the Shabbos is a very holy time. There's no question about it. If you see this forum, it's true. But it's even holier when you have your children around you and you're having a happy and healthy Yiddish family. There is so much you can throw in between the lines when the children are sitting around you and listening to you and you're listening to them. If you're very focused, no, I'm not going to talk about this. I'm not going to ask my child about school and the Shabbos, that's not the time to talk about lunch and plays and this. No, it's a serious time. What do you do? You lost the opportunity to connect with your child. The whole week, we hardly have time to talk to our children. The only quality time that Baruch Hashem, us Eden, still have is around the Shabbos Ede. No phones. We don't get distracted. That's the only time we can communicate. So we're going to lose the opportunity. No, Shabbos Ede is the time to communicate with our children. Talk to them Ask them questions, prepare yourself. Ask them questions, let them talk. The more they talk, you listen to them. So it's a cycle. You talk, they listen. They talk, you listen. So, and, and you talk subjects they want. Now, obviously you're still gonna say it's You still have the meters. There's no problem with that, but you'll see if you do that age appropriate, you focus on every child, they're gonna listen. Now, a small child, a three-year-old, a five-year-old cannot and does not have to sit at the, at the table the entire there you can't expect it from them, and there's no need for them to be there. But even a small child, the three year old, will sit in the beginning to eat a challah and a little piece of fish or whatever they want if you talk to them. But if they have to sit and it's a uh, everybody's sitting around like soldiers, and there's a general sitting up there throwing you know looks that you that can burn you, why it's I would run from such a place, why would I want to sit there? It's totally. Frightening, uninteresting, depressing, I hate it. Why would they want to say that? So do just the opposite. Don't be frightening. Be loose. Be happy. Be calm. Have fun. Make it fun. Talk what they want to talk. Ask them what they want to be asked. Sing what they like to sing. Yeah, you still have to sing Yuzmir, it's no problem. But if they have a song that has nothing to do with Shabbos, has to do with whatever it is, sing it. Your goal is not the song. Your goal is the connection. That is what you focus on. You'll see that things will change. All of a sudden, they're all going to be around you at the Shabbos. Eve. They're all going to be waiting for you. They're going to love every moment of it. And if not, the opposite happens.
0: A lot of, a lot yeah. of work. Just all that's a fine time. Yes. <laughs>
2: Welcome. But uh, the rewards are so big. You Very see good. it. That it pays off it's it, not after 120, it pays off. You see the results quite quite, quite fast if you do it properly. Beautiful.
0: Um, There's a question um, that I know a lot of mechanchim have and some parents. Um, they would like to give the children things and have them earn, earn it. So what's your opinion about giving prizes? When is it considered bribery? And when is it an incentive for what they're doing for chores in the house?
2: you're giving me all the hard ones okay (laughs) look when it comes to reward or punish your question was about rewards when when is it bribery when is it rewards right makes a big difference it depends what you reward, what you are rewarding your child on and how often it happens so for example if you're gonna start doing a reward chart or whatever it is, you're gonna start rewarding your children on something that they have to do normal. Normal things, basic behavior, not out of the norm, just basic behavior. You don't reward something on something that's normal, that it's, that's expected from them to do. There's no reason to do that. And you're not gonna, I'm, I'm talking about in general now, I'm gonna get into more detail in a minute. But first, the general rule is you don't reward on something that's expected from a child to do because it's a normal thing to do. If a child eats three times a day, you're not going to reward them for it. Because what happens is they're getting the wrong message. But I'm doing something out of the ordinary. Why am I getting rewarded for it? They're getting the wrong message. So you don't want to reward them on something that is expected from them to do. This is in general. But for example, if you want your child to make his bed, Every day, when he gets out of bed, then he should make it. You know, the, to make his bed. So again, this is something normal for a child to do. That you shouldn't have to reward the child in general. But if you have a particular child that you know, this child has an issue with making his or her bed. That's her weakness. Just a weakness. That's, every person has their own weaknesses. So you want to encourage the child to do something normal. So you tell the child, look. You have to make your bed every day to make it tidy, but I know it's hard for you. So I'm going to give you something to encourage you to do something that you want to do. Maybe that will give you an incentive, so you're not bribing the child for doing it, you're just giving him or her an incentive to do something they want to do. But if it's something out of the ordinary, I don't know if they're gonna really clean up things that they don't have to clean, or wash or whatever, help out, do extraordinary things. Every child to their own level or with boys, if they learn something, not the standard, they learn Mishnahs on their own or anything like that. Yes, then it's appropriate to do, to give rewards because they're doing something they don't have to do. They're not getting the wrong message. You always wanna be focused on what is the message that my child is getting by this reward. That is the, the, uh, someone once told me, and I'm gonna say the truth, not someone, it happened with me, okay? when we were children. My father had, we were four, it was a, sum, a summer Shabbos afternoon. We, were, we finished the Shabbos seed, it was, I don't know, one o'clock, Milch was eight, seven hours to burn, we were not going to sleep. And so we had seven hours. I was a child, I was at that time about 10 or 11 years old. And it was me and two of my younger brothers at that time. My father told us after the, the meal, he said, you know, when you take out the sefetori, you say berich Whoever is gonna learn berich this afternoon, from the beginning to the end, we'll get something. I don't remember what the reward was. He, gave, he told us he's gonna give us a reward if we hazer They're hard words to say for, for adults. Imagine for children. So I was sitting, I was, Break, I was breaking my head. My, first my tongue and then my head to get the words in. And I was successful. I was, I, I was able, he, before mincha, if they heard me, I got my reward. I think it was a sefer, whatever it was. I can tell you one thing, it took me a very long time that I was able to say This is with a reward. I got something, this was something, it brought back bad memories. I wanted to, I had to show that I could do it. I wanted to be the good boy, I'm gonna make it. And I got the reward, but the end result was, he meant well, obviously. I'm sure he went well, it was something to do, an activity. I didn't have to do it, I didn't have to do it. He didn't force me to do it, but I forced myself. The reward made me, for a long time, I remember every, even until today, but now it's no, it's no longer with pain, it's just a memory. But as uh, I was 14, 15, I had a hard time saying, ah, oh, oh, this Rech shalei, this water, ha, this, this is with a reward. And imagine if it happens as a punishment. If you tell a child you were bad by the Shabbos eater, for the next six hours you're going to sit in I'm going to hear you at seven o'clock in the afternoon. If you don't know it, who knows who? Imagine what it does. And this happens all the time. This is Rewards and punishment can have the counter effect of what you want. You want to give a reward to build a love to a certain things and it can have the counter effect and you can give a punish because you want a child to fix their actions and it does the opposite. Okay,
1: Okay, let's get into this topic. This is a very important one, very, very correlate to this. My child, my daughter, my son came home a few days ago complaining about her teacher, his Rebbe, right? Now what's the Mahalach? I personally believe the teacher is wrong. How do I react to my daughter or my son so doesn't look down at the teacher. You know, this comes on, the Rebbe punished me for no reason. or And then maybe sometimes you, you hear the way the son or the daughter says, it, it definitely sounds a little bit too much. But on the other hand, how do you deal with it? You can't tell your kid, you know, your rabbi's is a So how do you deal with these situations?
2: First of all, to make it just uh, uh, to correct one thing, when a child comes home and says, my Rebbe is a sugar uh, you stop him right there. Because no matter how wrong the Rebbe was, he's never a sugar. There's something you want to tell your child. If, if they use a word that's not a problem, the same as if they use it with us. They tell us, or, we, there are certain words that are never used with authority, with respect to people. Yeah? So that is number one. But getting into your topic, to your question, um, it's a big, big topic. I'm going to try to really answer it in three minutes. If a child comes home and tells you, Let's make an example that my Rebbe embarrassed me in front of the whole class. He told me that I did something wrong and he made me do something, and and the Rebbe was wrong. I did not do it. So he comes on crying. He tells you, Tati, my Rebbe punished me. He embarrassed me in front of the whole class. He accused me of doing something. I really didn't do it. Okay? This is the story. How do you react? The problem is you were not in class, you were not there when it happened. You you hear your child's version of the story. So there could be a a few scenarios. Number one, could be your child is right. Could be your child is right. The rabbi was really wrong. So you can never tell your child, no, your rabbi is right. If your rabbi punished you, your rabbi knows what he's doing. You can never tell that to a child because you don't know the facts. Your child knows the facts. He knows deep inside if he did it or he didn't do it. So if your child tells you, I did not do it, you don't know the truth. So if you tell the child, whatever the rabbit did is right, you're basically giving the t- telling the child, I don't believe you, what you're saying, and the rabbi is right. And that is something you don't want to say. Not that, that the rabbi is right, that he is wrong, because you don't know. On the other hand, to say, no, yeah, your rabbi made a mistake, listen, listen, every person can make mistakes, even a rabbi can make mistakes. So he made a mistake with you. How can you say that? You don't know. Maybe your child did it. He's obviously saying he didn't, but maybe he didn't. So how can you, you cannot say the Rebbe is wrong. You cannot say the Rebbe is right. What do you do? So number one is 90% of what the child really needs, 90% of the scenarios, there are exceptions, but 90% of the scenarios, what a child really needs is compassion, understanding, empathy. That's all they want. They, most of the time that he did something wrong, he deserved it, yes, he's hurt, he got to punish, he's really hurt, so he wants to cry on his father or the mother, so you give them the empathy, the understanding, I know it's hard for you, that's number one. Number two, what do you tell the child? You can tell the child, look, I hear what you say, you're telling me that you didn't do it, that you already punished you for no good reason, I hear you, wow, that must be very painful for you, but I was not there. I don't know what happened. You say it didn't happen. Your rabbi obviously thinks that it did because he punished you. So since I wasn't there, do you want me to call up your rabbi and ask him the details about the story? Once you say that, 90% of the children will say, please don't call. They will ask you not to call because they know the truth. If the child tells you yes, yeah, call my rabbi," Okay, I will but not now, let's first relax, have a good. Just it's, it's not an emergency for this minute, let's relax a little bit, have something to eat, relaxing, and let's talk tomorrow morning before you go to school, let's talk, tell me then if you still want me to call your parent, your earlier teacher. In the morning, the 10% who did want last night will probably go down to 1%, that they still want you to call the teacher, the And if they want you, you do make the call. But once you make the call, obviously you will never accuse a teacher or a rabbi with bad words, that how come this, how come that you were not there? You don't know the circumstances and the the worst case scenario, yes, maybe they made a mistake. Yes, they were wrong. So you discuss it with them in a nice way. The bottom line that I wanna really bring out here is what you never tell a child that your rabbi is wrong, that you rather made a mistake. I'm talking about general stories, not because Shalom. if really something bad happens, which unfortunately does. I personally know many stories, rabbis, teachers who did and said certain things to, to children. I'm dealing with them at the age of 30, 40. They're still suffering from those words that they were told as a child. So it happens, unfortunately, yes. But that's not the majority. The question you asked probably, that's which happens in every single family, is something that happens and it's normal that it should happen. Even if they made a mistake, you never wanna tell your child that the rabbi is wrong because for a child, a rabbi, a teacher is authority. And once the child, a young child starts getting the message that authority can be wrong, they don't know how to differentiate between this authority and that authority. All of a sudden, whatever the rabbi is gonna say is wrong, they will lose trust, they will lose respect. And that is something you don't want to do. So you you say, the worst case scenario with your question is that the rabbi will tell the child and most of the time they have no problem doing it. They'll call over the child and say, you know what? I gave you a punish a few days ago. I made a mistake. I asked you the healer, forgive me. I didn't know. Under the circumstances, obviously I thought you did it. It can be fixed in no time. But this is one or 2% of the stories. Most of the time, they calm down they can accept a child is resilient a child can accept failure a child can accept mistakes as long as we are there for them to be there for them to understand them to give them the empathy to give them the warmth then there's no problem okay
1: let's jump to the next question over here hold on one second Okay, let's get into this one. A lot of times, um, my child of d- different ages, right, behaves in ways that they that that are not the way I wish. How could I react? It's a very nice idea that to accept your child unconditionally, no matter how they behave. However, why should I let them just do and behave without respect to us and the chutzpah, the way they interact with us if I don't approve? So basically, the child is trying to act in ways that I wish they didn't act. Okay, we're talking about getting young children, so we're not talking about. You know-
2: you, Can you rephrase the question? I didn't- uh, The point
1: basically was, is, how do we deal with kids when they start doing micro movements of things that we don't like the way, how do we react to it? You know I mean, obviously talking about younger kids, and I'm oh. talking about like, 13, four, 15, I can give you a, a thousand examples. Right. You have a six year old uh, starts wearing cooler clothing, starts talking a certain way, starts acting a little bit, you know what I mean?
2: Okay, okay. I understand. I understand the question. Okay. Basically, um, in, in short, uh, again, this is a big topic, but in short, to answer is when you, the biggest problem that happens, when well, we have a young child, we're talking about three to 30, so this can happen usually at the age of 10, 11, 12, when they start acting out a little bit, different dresses, different codes, different styles, a little bit, okay? The worst that can happen is, what well, it's very classic, so for example, you have a child that all of a sudden, the... You see, let's say you have a boy, a 12-year-old boy, and he stands in front of the mirror every morning for 20, 30 minutes, beautifying himself. His hair, his style, I don't know, whatever he's doing. He's spending a lot of time there. And you don't like it. What happens? We Sometimes, the biggest mistake that can happen, we will react to that scenario in a totally inappropriate way. Meaning... You're gonna attack the child. What are you doing in front of a mirror for so long? Are you crazy? You know, I don't even know if it's allowed, but be to stand in front of a mirror for so long. Yeah, a little bit, there, but what are you doing? You attack the child as if he would have done the Gimel averis Hamiris in one minute. The anger, the upsetness, we get so turned on with so much chaos and why? Why do we do that? Where is this coming from? Why do we get so upset when we see a child doing, acting out a little thing like your ass? Our response, our reaction is completely out of order. Why? The reason it happens is because I saw a boy in shul or on the street of the derech. And the father of that child told me, you know how it started? When he was 10, 12 years old, he was standing in front of the mirror making, beautifying himself. He was focused only on clothing and all these things. He was totally into that. So all of a sudden, I have this fear in myself that, oh, if it happened to that boy, if that boy, so now I have my child doing the same thing, I already see the end result. This is what he's gonna look at in five years from now. So you attack him as if if he is this bad, totally of the direct child, which is totally not true. 99% 99% of the time when the child acts out with small things it's something it's coming from inside them they either they appreciate nice clothing they have no bad intentions has nothing to do with Hashem they don't mean bad and if we attack them then it, then it's a Yiddish kind of issue they have no idea what we're talking about they get very upset because it shows them that we have no clue who they are, that we don't understand them, we don't understand what they like, what they need. That is the message they're getting. So how do you have to react when you see a child acting out with small things? Talk to them. The best thing is not to do it while they're doing it because they're very defensive at that moment. A child who's doing something out of the box, even if it's a small thing, they will defend themselves. So if you're going to talk to them at that moment, they will not accept what you're saying because they're on the defensive mode but in the day next week wait a little bit and you sit down with the child and say you know what i noticed that you like a certain clothing that you like a certain sneaker a certain style and you start talking with the child i understand why you like it i also like certain things that are maybe not so appropriate it's fine there's nothing wrong that you like it but then you get into it that Look, our background, our what we're doing, what we're wearing, what we're not wearing. We're this, we're that. You we start to explain, you talk to the child as adult to adult, as a human to a human. You're not accusing him, you're not looking down at him. They will listen to you. Again, if the whole mahalach goes, on. it's all, if you can see the whole two hours now, we're all coming back to the same point. Stay focused, treat him as a human being, don't, don't require, ask them to do certain things that they cannot control. They feel human. They feel understood. They feel immense. If they feel understood, they want to be good. They want to please. They want to be el-ghi, There's no question about it. So all we have to do is, so when you see a child acting out in small things, let it be a small thing. Don't blow it out of proportion. Let it stay small. Talk to the child. 99% of the, 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 the child will listen to you. And if they have a desire, again, work with them. If you have a certain child that really appreciates a certain style of clothing, different colors that you don't like, you're a black and white person and your child is orange and green. It's a matter of taste. It doesn't have to mean that you're gonna shut this person down, your child completely. Work with them. It's okay, especially if it's a girl. She likes certain clothing, certain shoes, certain, I don't know, hairstyle. It's okay, it's not, we're not in a box completely. We have leniencies that we can let go a little bit. There's no question about it. But when we're so strict and focused, no, if I like this style, you have to like my style. It's totally not true. You don't like the style that your mother likes. So why should your child have to like what you like? So again, this is all coming back to the same point. Understand why they're doing it. It's not coming from a bad place.
1: Beautiful. Okay, we have one more live
0: question for tonight. Last live question. Hi. Hello? Yes. yes. Okay, I want to know, how can you ask um, kids to help without giving them the responsibility of a parent? Like I've, When I was a child, I had a lot of responsibilities, and I felt, my mother asked me to help. What language should you use that the kid shouldn't
2: feel that it's their responsibility as a parent. Wow, very, 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 very good question. Thank you for asking. It's, it's a very painful question because it happens so often. And basic, I think you know the answer. Uh, your question was basically what words should we use, proper yes. words that the child shouldn't take it as they are responsible. That is, the, that, that is a very good question. But the concept of it, is no question. A child should never be responsible as a parent. They have, a child has responsibilities that we wanna give them. Basically, most of the time, they're only responsible on themselves. Again, age appropriate. A seven, eight year old has no, cannot really be responsible even for themselves. As they get older, yes, you wanna give them responsibility. I'm here to help you, to help you be responsible but I cannot be responsible for you. But this is on a, on personal things. But when it comes to the household, which is, I think this was the question, like yeah. uh, watching on younger children or making sure the house is cleaned up or all these things, that should never be the responsibility of the child. Now, well, again, let's say if you're going away in the evening, you have to go out to a Simchen and you have a, an older child, an older girl that can that is age-appropriate, uh, old enough, to watch over the younger children. And you're giving her the responsibility. So again, she can never be more responsible than you are. Let's make that very clear. Meaning when you're home as the mother, the children also come out of bed sometimes. They also don't go to sleep on time sometimes. So it does not have to happen when you, when your daughter is babysitting. Okay, so let's be honest. First of all, she's, she has no magic to do better than you. If something is just the opposite, she's not the mother. So the children will take advantage of a, of a sibling who's watching them, obviously, but they're not responsible. So they, cannot, they can carry responsibility in certain things as they get older, but not the mother's responsibility. The ultimate responsible person in the home is the mother. So if you leave your home and you leave the children with your older daughter, for example, You'll never, yes, what words to use. You should never tell your child, okay, you're responsible that everybody should be in bed by nine. How can she? She can do whatever she can, but she cannot be responsible to do something that even you have an issue with. So what can you say? What is the right words to say? You're old enough. I trust you that you'll be able to handle the home when I'm away. I trust you. So if... She'll, you'll come home and she's going to tell you that Moishi was jumping around until 12 and Chesky was jumping until 11 and Suri till 10. You're going to say, I'm sure you did your best. I trust you. It wasn't. So you didn't throw the responsibility on your child, but you're basically asking her to take charge, but you still trust her if it's not the best as if you would have done, it because she cannot do it. This is when it comes to household responsibility. When it comes to personal responsibility, yes. A child has to be responsible of their own actions, of the age appropriate. The older they get, you want to teach them that they are responsible of their own actions. You are not responsible for them. All we do as parents is helping them carry out their responsibilities if they want help. If they don't want help, I cannot help you. I hope the answer was clear enough in short.
0: It's more language, what language to not to use when you ask your kids to help. Not what, what yesterday, to do, what...
2: what not, certain... Right, for example, not to use the word responsible. That, that word is the word that you don't want to use. You don't want to use the word to a child when it comes to the household that you are responsible for your younger children, for younger siblings. You're not responsible. You're doing your best, you're helping. I really appreciate it. I'm responsible. Part of my responsibility as the father-mother is to tell you what to do. But you're not the responsible figure. All I'm asking you to do is to do your best. I'm, I'm gonna I'll trust that you did the best. Obviously, if she did, if she tells you she did, but you don't want to use any words that replaces her with you. That is something you don't want to do. Don't to give over your responsibilities. So it goes. Uh, I'm, I think I understand what you're aiming at because it's a very, very big topic, especially you said that you grew up in a home where a lot of responsibility was given onto to you. So I, I can probably imagine what you're referring to. I don't think we have the time to go into too much detail on that because it goes into a much deeper level because it's not just responsibility. If a parent throws responsibility onto a child, it goes much beyond, much more beyond just responsibility. It becomes guilt. It turns into guilt that when when you have one of your siblings not behaving properly, all of a sudden, since you were the responsible older sister, I'm responsible for their behavior. So you feel guilty that I didn't do my job properly. So if something happens to the child, they're not behaving properly. it, It rolls from one issue to another. It's snowballing. So I'm, I don't think we can get into it right now. But the best, in short, is try not to use the word responsible. You're not responsible. I am responsible. Um, you're just helping me with my responsibilities.
1: Okay. <clears throat> Rabbi Tower, one last question. i want going to squeeze in and then i are going to go to closing, okay? okay? This is a question that uh, probably everybody can relate to in a certain sense. My child tells me something negative about a friend. Who do I talk to and how do I tell them about this? My 12-year-old tells me that his friend is, has a smartphone, he has access to the internet. <clears throat> I was shocked that they didn't show him. I hope not. What should I tell my son? That's a. It's a good friend of his. Like, how do I deal with that? He's telling me it in confidence.
2: Right. Again, I have to make it very short because it's a, it's a big question. Um, what do you what you don't want to do is break the confidence. That is uh, that should be the number one on your list, on the do's and the, and the don't do's when it comes to issues like this. Never ever do something or say something to someone that will make you lose the trust of your child. If your child tells you something in confidence and you break that trust, your child will probably never trust you again. Never, on the same level. You may build up some trust again with years, but never on the same level if you betray them. It goes in any relationship, not just with parents and children. Any relationship, that uh, the worst that can happen to a relationship is a breach of trust. So you that, that is something you never want to do. Meaning you don't want to go behind your child's back. So when a child tells you something bad about another, about a friend, let's say that the friend has a smartphone, you just mentioned. So what, how, what do you do with that information? The, what I what I did, I remember I'm not getting into the details. Some of my children are probably listening, so I don't want to. Tell the story in great detail. I remember one of my children once telling me about a friend that they saw a friend doing something inappropriate. They told me about it. So I asked my child, What do you want me to do? I threw the question straight back at them. What do you want me to do with this information? Who do you want me to tell? So because they gave it, they told it to me in confidence, Don't tell anybody. Okay. So if you don't want me to tell anybody, I'm not going to tell anybody but obviously it bothers you that you came to tell me. Why did you tell me? Something bothers you. So I'm here for you. What do you think? You'll be amazed with what solutions children come up, how to deal with these sensitive issues with friends, how to tell the Rebbe. The Rebbe should never find out who the information came from. They know it much better than us. They'll tell you, go to the father of another son, of another child in the class and tell that father that you hid it from someone, you have no idea who, that child, that father will go to the rabbi and tell the rabbi that this boy has a smartphone and no one will ever figure out how it happened. This comes from the children. They come up with these ideas. They know it much better than us. They're very smart. And we can use that. We can use that. We don't know the ins and outs, the politics of a class sometimes. So when a child tells you something in confidence, they trust you, have them come up with a solution. Have them. But one thing for sure, never, ever, break the confidence of your child. Never. Because that is so damaging to the trust between the parent and the child. And if you do break it, let's say if it's something terrible that you have no choice, you have to go to the Rebbe and tell the Rebbe about this child. And and your son told you in confidence, if you have to, if this happens, tell your child. You tell your son, I'm really sorry, I know you told this to me in confidence, I will never go behind your back. If you tell me not to tell something, I don't want to, I'll never go back on my word. But this is an emergency. There's certain things that are doing anything. And the child will understand that, that this is really urgent. If I care, he'll see that, wow, look, my parent is so careful about not losing my trust. And, and, and they really, really are very uh, confidential when I tell them something. Look, but you have to be open to your child. Never go behind your back because they'll catch you.
1: And then it's too late. Okay. Let's go to closing now. First of all, for coming on tonight, giving the Olym, obviously, is a, is a huge topic. We just threw a few basic questions at you, but there's thousands and thousands of questions. There's so much more to hear and learn. So I'd say, listen, come back every Sunday for the next, who knows how many months. I'm not sure, we'll really conquer it.
2: I'll fill up the third volume, then uh, I right, you
1: fill up the, lap, the whole volume for yourself. But on my side, I'm just gonna read over again. It's gonna be Met Shem Nach Pesach. It's gonna be a course, six one-hour sessions, and at the end of every session will be question and answers on the topic so the oil can really understand it. It's gonna be a very cheap price, very affordable price for everybody. Special, special for the oil to come. And I think I think I think anybody who obviously is raising kids and found you know the tonight's share to be helpful should definitely join. It's 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 definitely worth it if um, anybody wants to get a hold of Rabbi Tauber, it's Coaching at Gmail. It's k-e-s-h-e-r coaching at gmail.com. Uh, Rabbi Tauber, can I give out the office number if somebody wants to call to find out more information?
2: Yes, just the office, the
1: office number. The office number is 845-540-4140. Again, that's 845-540-4140. Again, Rabbi Tauber, what are you talking about tonight? hello you know, you
2: know, I'll never forget that one. You're yeah, successful. that one was a
1: good one. That was a good one.
2: Really good one. Wow. Okay. Now, I know, now I know why I had to wait so long.
1: That's, you see, everything was pre-planned. You know from the first year, I already had a cheshmer for you to come on 94. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's, it's, I'll, I had everything in the back of my mind. And again, if anyone wants to join the WhatsApp, the WhatsApp chats, just please WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. 848-525-0066. Save my number. And every Sunday, I will send you the flyer. Please post it on your status. Send it to your family chats. Not every share is for everybody, but everybody can gain. So you never know when you when you're telling somebody about it, you don't even know what you could be doing for somebody. Mama should be helping somebody. And again, for tonight, anybody who's here the first time, every Sunday night at nine thirty Eastern time on this Zoom ID, we have different shiurim, different topics. Spread the word. Shem, next Sunday, March thirteenth, we're gonna have an amazing show with Rabbi Lazer Bloom, who specializes in EFT therapy. He's from Hollywood, Florida. We're gonna. I, I'm calling a date night with Coach
2: Menachem.
1: <laughs> what is truly getting in the way of your connection relationship, what you could do about it. EFT, a roadmap to deepen your marriage. Again, EFT stands for emotionally focused therapy. It's a very powerful tool. It's a very powerful therapy. People are using it and it's really, really opening up paveways for marriages. This somebody actually who started this whole thing is actually starting this particular EFT for Hassan and McCullers before they get married, how to have basic skills on focusing and communication So it should, it should be a powerful event Everybody should join I said even if you're not married You know, Meshem Monday You will be married It's it's communication Something that It's a, it's, it's a, it's a must It's a must for everybody Again, tonight uh, Everything is recorded It'll be Meshem on Menachem If anybody has any questions For Menachem Please email him At coachmenachem at gmail.com Tonight's share is share number 94 And if anybody wants to hear it um, On the phone Meshem will be uploaded On Menachem's phone lines at 848 777 GROW. That's 848 777 GROW. Again, a special thank you to the, all our advertising sponsors of Lakewood School, Ravi Yanib Chazak, for JCN, and, for, and also for OK Clarity. Again, OK Clarity is the online platform for mental health, support the Jewish community. OK Clarity, you find the best therapists, coaches, nutritionists, engage in forms, and stay inspired. I just want to give a closing in the Machem and the Rosh Lemusha, Partners, Rabusha, you know, Rosh so, I'll go first. I want to say tonight was beautiful, it was clear, and again, for anybody who's listening to this, who's joined later, tonight we're talking about younger kids, basic chinah for healthier situations, just, you know, a lot of things you said, we had shirim dealing with other crises and different situations, so, you know, people can going to say, oh, but this guy said this, no, no, we never had a shir from 94 shirim that were focusing on younger children, kind of just healthy boundaries and basic, basic stuff, so I felt tonight was it was very clear, very concise. It was perfect. And um, it's a lot more to hear from Rabbi Tauber. And um, he is on Torah anytime people texted. If you want to hear more speech, you go to Torah anytime to hear some of the Shiurim. Reach out to him. If you want, I, I definitely I advise anybody who has kids to definitely join those classes. It's, it's very, very, very affordable. But Shem Rabbi Talber is going to do it very cheap. And it's you can learn a tremendous amount. And Ashkah uh, for coming and for being maskin to give you a night, your Sunday night over here. And Coach Menachem, let's go. We'll wrap it up.
0: Shkoyev, yeah, just like what uh, Rabusha said, was very, very clear. And for people who want to um, ask the question about their child specifically, then uh, I guess they should go to the question and answer in the in the course. Emet Hashem after Pesach. But uh, just one thing, when it comes to chinuch, many people wanted to work today now, and uh, obviously you need a lot of patience. And it's like uh, you're putting a seed in the ground and give it the water and the sun and nurture it, what it needs, and to be there. And it's not easy every day to do the right thing. Well, that's part of it. There's ups and downs, which is okay. Understand that this is part of Philip. Slowly, after weeks and months and years, and they see how you're, you're clear. I think a lot of tonight was that the parent, how clear the parent needs to be of what the parent wants. And what's bothering the parents, and what's the triggers and the emotions? Very, very important. And again, it's work, takes time, and we've learned a lot from the past. Shir she, and Mitshem will continue, but it's a lot, of, a lot of self-growth. Shem, everybody should have the siyata d'shemaya. And thank you very much, Rav for being here tonight and giving over the clarity that we needed. Thank you
1: leave the island with chizik, with something to take away a strong epic start, Let's go.
2: I'll just first of all thank you, thank you, thank you. Both of you, Coach I really, really I'm growing from this. Okay. I mean, it's a personal, personal thank you. Um I just want to finish with an amazing story that I heard it from I heard it from Eid, who heard it from the Balamasa himself the holy the heiling belzer roof so he's you're gonna lie the last bellzaruf rebaale the the mimic the custom was in belz at that time there were there was a huge oil that wanted to go into the Rebbe. so how they set it up it was impossible to go in one at a time it was impossible so what they did was the roof it was a Mal he was sitting with his head down bowed down he never he never almost never picked up his head never looked around but he saw everything. He was sitting with his head down and there was a door at the end of the room and they opened the door and people start coming in. There was hundreds and hundreds of people waiting outside, sometimes, sometimes thousands during Tishri. So people were pushing in, pushing in, pushing in. Then all of a sudden, the Belzeruf made a sign with his hand, stop. And the Gabba closed the door and then everybody just walked by him and he put down the kvittal, he gave a brocha and they walked down at another door on the other side. When the room was empty, sometimes he told them to do it again. Sometimes he stopped. It could have meant to wait another day, another week. It was very, very inconsistent. It was very hard to get in. So once was, uh, this was going on, and someone was waiting in line ready for a few days to go in. When finally the door opened up and everyone was pushing in, pushing in, pushing in. When he was the next in line to go into the room, the bell's Zero made stop. So the Gabba wanted to close the door, but he wiggled himself in. He was the last. He pushed himself in after the roof made stop. So he liked it. he liked the idea of being the last one, so he can be in the room for a long time to see him. But when his uh, when he when he came, he was the last one on the line. So he was alone in the room with the Gabba and the belzer roof. So the roof told him, "I noticed that." After I made stop, you pushed yourself in. A yit tunisht osfin. That's what i told. A should, how I do you say osfin in English. I don't even know. Never get your way. You should not get your way. When I made the sign stop, you would should have waited until your turn comes. You pushed yourself in. A yit tunisht sfin. You shouldn't try to get your way. Please go back. Go out. He didn't want to take a little this happening for you, this, this means, could be he'll never get in, it could be another week of waiting. But the, the roof tells him to do this, he just started walking out. As he was walking out, the Belzeruf called him back. He said, I, I should also not get my way. Give me your clicker. He took his clicker, he gave him a mm-hmm. So he told his "You, uh, we should not try to get our ways all the time, but then he said it on himself the same. Why am I bringing up this story? We were talking so much about setting boundaries, saying, being strong, being consistent. Yes, a healthy home needs boundaries, our children need boundaries, and you have to be very strict on the boundaries and be strong on that, not to give in, not to be a mavater, because otherwise the children get the wrong message. But always remember, we also have to be mevatr sometimes. We should also give in sometimes and that is something we need to teach our children so when as strong as we are as we as consistent as we are on our boundaries make sure from time to time to give in to your child and tell your child you're breaking the rule i know that but you i'm gonna i'm gonna give in to you because i also have to give in sometimes you're teaching your child to be an avatar to give in not to be obnoxious not to be an action that is a real Real uh, and a huge important part of chinach that we want to teach our children. So I just wanted to bring it out, when we talk about boundaries, boundaries, there is a boundary to break a boundary. That is also part of chinuch that we want to teach our children. So Hashem should help all of us together. We should be able to be machanach of children, easy, banachas, banecha with our, the father and mother happily around the table, with gezint, Gazin Parnosa
1: Makas. Gazin Tait. With Mashiach. Amen. Amen. I'll See you next Sunday night at 9.30 with Rabbi Bloom from Florida. It's going to be an unbelievable program. great for coming tonight. Thank you.
2: You're very welcome. Good night.
0: Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly, monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. It will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance.